Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And we are live. Um, I don't do this very often, so when I do, I hope a lot of people attend and hang out. You are listening to In Living and Health. Make sure you get all your electrolytes down at the link below through LMNT. they got their chocolate medley. It's got mint chocolate, regular chocolate, and chocolate caramel, which I love to add in my coffee in the morning. You'll see my salty box right there. And if you are listening live, make sure you go to the links below and get yourself some Outright Bars from Tiger Fitness. These are my two favorites, Cinnamon Sugar and uh, the Outright S'mores. They also got branch chain amino acids, or my favorite flavor of protein powder, the MTS machine whey and peanut butter fluff. It's absolutely fantastic. So without further ado, let's go. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. all right we are back man he's grinning already so you know it's gonna be a good one anyways david brady welcome back to the show it's been i think a hundred if i had to put a number on it i want to say 103 episodes since you've been um on the show so you know i kind of crank them out david how you doing today dude i'm doing pretty wonderful man thanks for having me Ah, dude, of course. It's always good to chat with uh, you. And, um, you know, before um, we jumped live here, we were kind of shooting the shit and uh, I just feel old as hell, man. You know, Uh, but um, as I think I established the last time you were on, uh, you give me a lot of hope. So um, uh, what's kind of been going on in your life recently? I know you kind of put Road to Providence to rest, but um, you know what? I guess let's start with a brief introduction in case anybody didn't hear. I want to say it's episode 40 or like 41, somewhere around there. Um, Give a brief introduction to yourself. Uh, hello, I'm David Brady. I'm guess I'm called the young Meacock or something by some people. I don't know. I think Dave Casey called me that once. Uh, but I, I guess like I'm, I'm an aspiring Catholic, you know, I, I still need to spend more time focusing on that. I'm a paleo libertarian, not like a GOP one, but like, I'm a, you know, I believe in like the pop, the like using populism to spread libertarianism. Um, and then I don't know. Like I'm just reading off my Twitter bio to be completely honest. I'm a pit bull enjoyer. I'm I I I'm I, I'm really interested in like economics and a little bit of foreign policy now and then. And then I'm also host one of the co-hosts of a new coming podcast and YouTube channel very soon, Econ Phonics. As dorky as that sounds, I tried to combine economics and uh, shoot. I don't remember the music. Like it, it's some term that has to do with music. It's for Lorenzo. That's where the phonics parts come from, comes from. So mm-hmm. yeah, just essentially it's a, it's a pod. It's going to be a podcast where we kind of just talk about like culture and every, everything related to it, whether it be like some random stupid TikTok trend, or it's going to be like some funny video we saw, maybe it's a political event, the stupid things going on on Twitter, you know, we're going to try and touch on a little bit of everything, you know, just have fun. Because, you know, what? I realized that I have the most fun in the world talking to my friend Lorenzo. And so I thought, hey, wouldn't everyone else enjoy it? No, I'm not committing jihad. <laughs> no, thank you, <laughs> Good Lord. Mm. <laughs> nice. I, I, I will pass on the Islam, to be mm. completely honest. Catholicism, <laughs> it's much more my jam. Nice. So, well, it seems like kind of recently you kind of lean a little bit more into Catholicism and paleo uh, libertarianism. So I remember seeing you tweet a while back, like, can you be a paleo guy without being in the Republican Party? So um, I guess kind of lay out in a little bit of depth kind of what that means to you and why you decide to 
kind of brand yourself that way. So if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't think that there is any chance we will create enough libertarians to win like any presidential elections. I I don't think maybe, uh, but I I just don't think it's, it's feasible to try to create a bunch of ideological libertarians because you know what? Most people aren't focused on like ideological things. Most people who vote for Republicans and Democrats aren't registered like Democrats or liberals. They're mostly like, you know, these like kind of maybe right of center, left of center people who just kind of sit around there like, oh, this sounds good to me. Why don't I go for this? I don't mm-hmm. think that most people aren't ideological. They do what sounds best for them, what will best benefit them and their families, what makes them feel safe and comfortable or what sounds great at, in the moment. And I just don't think that most people have the like, the intellectual fortitude to be like dedicated to libertarianism because libertarianism as a philosophy is very rigorous and what it asks you to do and what it demands of people. And Mm -hmm. I just, I I don't think it's feasible to try to create 10 million new libertarians. I don't think that will ever happen. I don't think most people think like libertarians because you know what? There's the reason that joke exists that libertarians are autists because it requires a different way of thinking. So what I, what I think we should be doing like with like the libertarian party is we should be curating all of, cause I think we can make like maybe a million libertarians, like good, strong libertarians, take those libertarians, make them into a strong base and then run a populist strategy. Quit delving into these like weird little money topics, run on things that matters. Like, you know, inflation, inflation's crippling people. We would run on things like that. We'd run on, you know, abolishing the department of education because it's just enabling people to indoctrinate your children with all this left-wing gender ideology you run on stop sending our veterans and our soldiers overseas to die in wars because you know what that's a pretty good thing to run on most people don't want to be don't want to be standing there thinking well i i support sending sending our soldiers over to die in the middle east or in russia and ukraine Mm -hmm. or in china or for taiwan most people don't think like that i think we need to be running on the big issues staying away from those third rails of politics and we need to take that that populist like that populist anger at the system and use it yeah no i think i um i largely agree and and it does seem like libertarians kind of missed the boat on this and I, i don't think that you can necessarily convince a large amount of people of the ideals of libertarianism, but you can definitely lead them in that direction. So um, what I've heard a lot of the post-libertarian group kind of talk about is elites. And, and yeah, sometimes some of them can be uns- or insufferable, but at the same time, um, there is something to this idea of elites. Like if you look at somebody like Trump, he, for all intent and purposes, he was an elite, right? But that being said, because he was an elite, he was able to use you know the platform that he had and who he was to guide people towards these populist ideas. So that's why I personally advocate for people becoming you know better people, working out and trying to improve their health, is so that way they can become a little bit more elite. Because I really think the only way that we're going to spread these ideas or at least be able to kind of do anything with them is to lead people with these ideas. Like they have to trust in you. Yeah, I think that there's there's definitely something there's I think natural elites are very much a thing. Like if you go into like any small town, there are people who, of course, they stand out. They're the people that are generally followed, even if they're not in like an official leadership position, like, you know, being on your local city council or being on your school board or being your mayor or something. There are people that groups in towns will tend to follow those people are natural elites because they are not propped up by the state by fiat currency by all of that they're not propped up and they they're just they naturally flow into these positions of being recognized as elites essentially so i think that libertarians need to be the natural elites in the world because you know what we have the most beautiful philosophy in the world we understand have you been to a libertarian convention yeah and you know that's where i think the problem begins (laughs) i'm sorry yeah yeah i've been to a libertarian convention and that's why i why i think like the self-improvement thing is so important i think Mm -hmm. libertarians need to be those natural elites in their communities helping out volunteering showing up doing work, being respectable citizens to their fellow man. You know, I think that we need to, we need to prove that, Hey, we are good people. Our ideas aren't just because we're the crackpot who lives in a van down by the river. Mm-hmm. 
So right. I, I, I think the self-improvement stuff is so important. Like, I think, you know, personally, I'm going to, my, like, if I were to rank it, I kind of did a tweet about this that got a got me a little bit, just a teeny tiny little bit of flack because most people didn't see it. It was mm -hmm. like, I think that libertarians need to improve, improve on three things. One is religion, at least, or at least coming to terms with your faith, whether or not like being like, hey, I don't believe in faith. Here's why. And maybe just not, don't be an edgy atheist. Nobody likes that. Right. Nobody is annoyed by anyone more than edgy atheists. Um, two, I think you need to improve your physical health because you know what? That stereotype of like the neck beard libertarian with the fedora exists for a reason. And right. don't be the reason it exists. Get up, go to the gym, walk your dog, go and meet people. And then three, improve your social skills, people. Like, don't just sit on your computers all day typing. And you know what? I'm pretty guilty of that for a lot of times. But you know what? Go out and socialize with people. Interact. Say hi to the cashier next to you when you go to when you go to Walmart. Go and like say hi to people as you're like walking down the street. Get to know the people at like your local deli or your restaurants or at your schools. Get to know people build social skills it's not that difficult just talk to people learn what their interests are let them talk share your interests find connections it's not that difficult guys we're better than like just terminally online people who just like when we when we're in pro in real life we just go uh 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 can i explain argumentation ethics to you yeah yeah and, and um you know i've i've been to enough libertarian events to know how some of those people are and know yeah. the uh, stereotype of neckbearded people pretty well but um for me personally there's something very recharging about being around people and it could be my personality as well because i am a pretty outgoing person but um like even going to the libertarian events there's something very very like i said just recharging about it when you go there and there's a bunch of people that you have a shared kind of sense of identity with and you share this ideology and sometimes it doesn't even have to be set around ideology you're there for a purpose and you can enjoy the company of other people and i i just always enjoyed that so um my affinity for the libertarian party may be falling away slightly but um my love for people in general has not at all so um oh, yeah. did you did you feel kind of the same thing when you were at um you, you live in minnesota correct yeah i live in minnesota and i went to the libertarian party of minnesota convention it was great i had a ton of i had i had a blast because you know pat mcfarland came there keith knight was there dave smith was there uh spike cohen recognized me when i went to go and help like fix his presentation because he was he was presenting like from south carolina to minnesota i i don't know but he was doing that, so sh he recognized me. Um, shoot, Josh, did I already mention that Josh Smith was there? No. No, Josh Smith was also there. It was a blast. I had a ton of fun uh, going to that convention. But it was like, it's it's definitely, like, it fills you up a lot more to be able to interact with people. Like, these people get it. I'm not fighting an uphill battle. I'm not Sisyphus pushing that rock up a hill. It, yeah. it, it, it's it's so much easier and nicer and then like a lot of times you'll encounter people and they'll be like oh here's suggestions for doing x y or z here's how here's what i learned here's what how'd you pick up libertarianism stuff like that it's just i had a blast the libertarian party minnesota convention and i'm looking forward to it next year when mm -hmm. i think it's sometime in april or may and i i hope to go again and i, I I'm, I'm pretty sure lorenzo you know like my best one of my best pals in the world He's, he's going to be coming to Minnesota for that. So I'm excited to get the chance to finally meet him at a libertarian event. <laughs> yeah, well, I think one of the things I remember Saturday night from uh, the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania convention was uh, picking up a lot of shot glasses, um, which which was still fun in and of itself. Um, so when it comes to the Libertarian Party, as I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, sometimes I have a little bit of a mixed bag, kind of like mixed <laughs> feelings on it. Um, Trust me, I get you. Yeah, so I, I see you kind of flirting around with some of the GOP stuff. And like, um, personally for me, if I'm going to run and my goal is to get elected, I would run as a Republican. And this has been something I've flirted around. I, and I've talked about it on the show a little bit. Like, okay, for 2024, um, I don't think next year I'm going to be able to do anything. But 2024, should I go for a natural bodybuilding show? Should I run for Senate or you know, as a Republican or a libertarian, I, I don't know what the hell to do. So um, I guess that's kind of a long-winded way to ask you, what's your thoughts around um, political strategy now? Because I know you kind of elaborated a little bit earlier. You don't think we're going to convert a bunch of people, but um, where do you see the viability of the Republican party and the viability of the libertarian party? I think I, 
I like the MAGA movement within the within the Republican Party because I think it's significantly a better improvement over the George W. Bushes of the Republican Party. I really, I mean, if you look at like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates, those are people that I have. I think they have some stupid takes on like the drug war, but like otherwise, like. I, I have immense amounts of respect for those people because you know what? They're saying the right things. They're fighting the powers that be. I really like a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the GOP needs to, the MAGA people need to banish the Kevin McCarthy's and the Mitch McConnell's out of the, the GOP before I step in as a libertarian, because as a libertarian, I don't feel like giving money to the GOP if it's just going to go to get Mitch McConnell reelected. That is mm-hmm. not something I want to spend my money on. I have no interest in helping like the turtle get back to like fellatiating the straw. I don't know. Maybe that was a bad analogy. Like, no, straws. <laughs> it works good enough. <laughs> it works. But like, I, I, you, you got to get one of those little uh, pop the, the things with uh, pop cans in it wrapping around the turtle's neck oh yeah that that, that might be a little brutal but yeah i need i need i for the gop for me to take that as seriously i i need to see like the MAGA people actually take steps to banish those people i need them to primary these people i need their leaders to endorse people primarying mitch mcconnell and kevin mccarthy i need them to not roll over and be like oh we're gonna vote kevin mccarthy for speaker of the house you know who should be speaker of the house thomas massey right if there was a guy yeah, that guy understands completely. rules and procedure i mean he was there getting called a sec like a, a third rate grandstander by trump because he was like hey let's practice some procedure when we're voting on bills especially ones that are two trillion dollars right stuff like that i the gop is an interesting animal and i wish people like tho bishop the best of luck because you know what, if if we're talking about like GOP guys, the post libertarians, I I have I can't take those guys seriously. But like when it just comes like the paleo libertarians like Tho Bishop, those guys I can take a lot more seriously. Like when they're mm-hmm. talking about that. As far as the LP goes, I think the LP needs to be there for situations like John Fetterman versus Mehmet Oz. It needs to be there to be like, hey, can't you see both of these people suck? And I'm I'm really disappointed yeah. that the National Party wasn't able to give like more attention and focus more and dump more money into like Eric Gerhardt, is it again? Yeah. Yeah. Dump more money into his race. Because you know what? That could have been a very viable race. You saw Jack Posobiec. He I, I'm I'm iffy on him, but even he was railing against Dr. Oz throughout most of the primary season. So we should have been using our people who know Jack Posobiec to get him on board with a libertarian candidate. Because you know what? If he recognizes that Oz sucks, why not leverage that? If you have Jack Posobiec endorsing a libertarian candidate, that's going to be beneficial to us. So I think we need to be going into these races where there's a candidate that sucks, electing, choosing strong libertarians, not Chase Oliver. I don't like Chase Oliver. I think he's a leftist. Like, I 100% think he is. If you're buying into that woke ideology, all that garbage, you're you're practically a Marxist. You're engaging in the Marxist tactics. I have no interest in supporting you. But we need to be we need to be supporting candidates who are in these races where both of those where both of those candidates are are garbage. Mm-hmm. And I, I I especially loved what um, Mark Victor did in in Arizona. As as disappointed as I am with the results of that election, because I wanted Blake Masters to win, I thought it absolutely funny because Mark Victor comes in, Democrats start sending him a bunch of money to draw away people from the GOP. Mark Victor drops out of the race and endorses Mark and Blake Masters. And you mm-hmm. know how much money he just wasted for the Democrats. If that isn't like, if that isn't three D chess, I don't know what is. And that well, that that yeah, that that is kind of funny. And I actually didn't. Um, I heard that he had some like Democrat activists, but I wasn't um, entirely knowledgeable of all the details of the situation. Yeah, if you um, go on Open Secrets, you know the mm-hmm. website that kind of tracks all of the donations and stuff. Cool. You could see that he was getting like B- Democrat super PACs, like Save Democracy PAC, as a mm-hmm. Democrat super PAC, and it was donating to his campaign. Like a, oh, okay. a, a good chunk of money. Wow. 
Yeah, that, that kind of raised up a lot of questions. That's that's really interesting. And, I, and I don't think it was I don't think it was like Mark. I don't think yeah. it was his fault. I think it's just that they were doing that because hey, they saw it that he's more likely to draw yeah. away people from right. from you know, Republicans versus from Blake uh, Masters, yeah. yeah, instead of Mark Kelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I've made my grievances clear with that whole situation, and obviously my grievances with the uh, populist right as it stands right now is this whole China hawk deal. Um, Listen, it, it, I wish I wish the populist right embodied Pat Buchanan more than they did Donald Trump. Like if they yeah. if they embodied Pat, the populist right would be just about perfect. They'd be like bad on like per, being a slightly protectionist, but like we could fix that. We could fix that. Trump coming over and taking taking like this weird remnant of the Ron Paul people in the GOP because you know what he did do a little bit of that he did take right. some of those those Ron Paul people well you had to and listen to the way that he spoke about the economy yeah if you t- he just took these weird amalgamations and he just forced it into being like not good on foreign policy like Pat is mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah so um. Wh- my whole problem with that whole Mark Victor situation was that um, there weren't any concessions given. I understand this was kind of like, I don't want to say a test run, but this is kind of like the first time that I know of the Libertarian Party really kind of situated this. But um, at the end of the day, it kind of looked like everybody sacrificed the Libertarian Party's reputation for a conversation with Blake Masters, and that was it. Um, I would have and- liked Scott to have interviewed him because I did you listen to his interview oh, with joe no. kent that was a good interview i really enjoyed him pushing back on joe kent and the china stuff but yeah so, somebody called him uh scott horton in the comments they said uh that's hot scorton <laughs> <laughs> they went from scott horton to hot scorton real quick oh my god yeah, I, I would rolling. have loved i would have loved for him to push back because you know what i think blake is actually a lot better than he than he was saying on his campaign website on those issues because this is a guy who wrote for LouRockwell.com. And you don't just casually write on LouRockwell.com about how the Iraq war was a lie and then essentially move to, oh, I think China's a big threat. I don't think you – he's got Peter Thiel on his side. Peter Thiel is a smart enough guy. They know China's not any real issue. I think that's a, hey, the GOP standard is that we support – dealing with china in some form or another so while he's running for office he can't afford to be appear weak on china and mm-hmm. i think that's genuinely it. i don't think a guy who wrote for lou rockwell is going to end up like that sinking of the lusitania uh how how they sell war i think it's the article by by uh blake masters okay yeah the oh you froze one sec well, guys, I guess I'm hosting the show now. I don't know if you can hear Kyle or if you can hear me, but I'll inter- I'll be I'll be the host of uh, In Liberty One and thing Health. That, um, for just a few. Moments. Sorry, you froze. You froze there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I kind of started like taking over your show, and I, I'm the host of In Liberty and Health now. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, it it, it happens. I, my brother and I tried to fix this, but unfortunately, it didn't go my way exactly. Um, yeah, the, the whole China situation is interesting, and it does seem like every single time I dig into it. Um, all of the criticisms that are laid fall apart. Like literally every single one. I don't think there's really been one that I've found that really stands, um, you know, the, the, that, that warrants all the scrutiny that it gets. Like originally the TikTok thing was something that people pushed back on me a lot on. And then when I dug into it, I actually found, oh, well, this company, um, ByteDance, I think it's called, they're out of China. But what actually, it, it just got settled recently, like within the last six months, that all this, data that was being harvested and supposedly going to uh, China and the CCP, which is, you know, people always conflate China and the CCP, like the country is the government. Um, Yeah. And and like, there's no difference between the business there and the state. Like there, there there is some, there are some companies that are ran by the CCP. I I, I think TikTok should be banned because it's detrimental to teen mental health and is quite literally (laughs) just helping destroy society. I think that's a more justified reason to ban it. Like, I you know yeah. libertarians will be like, oh, you can't ban something because it's anti-libertarian. You know what? I, like, I don't care. If we're going to ban it, can we at least ban it for, like, a reason that it's ramping up teen suicide rather than, like, it's China. China's scary da- data. Well, yeah, we're, teenagers we're shaking their butts on cameras. Right. Well, 
what was actually happening is that uh, once that seal was settled, um, all that data is actually being stored here in Oracle servers in the United States. But, it, you know, it, it's funny because a lot of the claims about China, you could claim the same exact thing about Israel and it would actually be true. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I do agree with you that TikTok really Israel is wants to invade Taiwan. Is that what you're saying? Kyle, are you saying that? <laughs> that, that? That's about the only claim that isn't true. Although, you know, I'm sure that they could if they really wanted to, because, you know, we would probably support that out of them. Although, you know, that's complete total speculation. Yeah, third I'm, rail I'm, American I'm, politics, man. Third yeah, rail. Little, little tongue in cheek. Um, You know, I, I really, I, I think it does come down to like, we shouldn't use TikTok because it really is just kind of like this tool. And it's really a symbol of people's attention span and kind of like the too long didn't read generation where now we literally have an attention span to engage with an idea that's, you know, what is it? 30 to a minute and a half long. Like this is really, they can, have, they can be up to 10 minutes now. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I don't, my sister watches TikToks they, my, and they scroll, my, my siblings scroll through TikToks. I've refused to get it mostly because it's like, this is just a, this is just a battery for a social, social contagion. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, one, one thing I really thought was interesting though, is um, in, I don't remember what the thread was or what people were arguing about, because you know what you, you people are always arguing about DeSantis and the America first people. It's called Twitter. Policy. Yeah. It's Twitter. But um. <laughs> Will Porter linked to a Justin Romano uh, article where mm -hmm. about how domestic policy affects foreign policy, how they're basically synonymous. And I think there's there's there are differences here, but they do really affect each other. Like you see, um, why would the Democrats be posturing for Taiwan if they know that Taiwan is going to cause a nuclear war? I don't think they're actually going to go and defend Taiwan if it if it were to get invaded. I don't think China has the capability to invade Taiwan, but. Right. Uh, why does what do they have to posture? Well, Nancy Pelosi has to fly to Taiwan because her constituency has a lot of Taiwanese immigrants in it, and a lot oh. of Taiwanese families. Okay, I so didn't she know that, has to actually. go over and do that. And <laughs> Donald Trump has to be support ha suddenly switches over to being pro-Israel again, right? Because you know he bashed Netanyahu, yeah. and now he's back to being like going to like. American Israeli political action conferences meetings and stuff. It's because you know what? If he wants to win in the GOP, he needs that like he needs the support of those super PACs. And so domestic policy moves over to for, moves over to foreign moves over to foreign policy. And so you if you look at this, you can really understand why a lot of these people act in a certain ways. Why is Trump sending weapons to Ukraine? Why is he like ramping up towards the end of his presidency sending weapons? Because they tried to like accuse him of being a Russian asset. And right. so if he wants to posture that he's not a Russian asset, who's he going to send weapons to? Ukraine. Right. Because because the Democrats decided to frame Donald Trump for treason because they tried to frame him because they tried to frame him for treason, they helped, they forced, essentially forced him to posture up, you know, and like start pushing us more and more towards a war and uh, mm -hmm. causing Russia to invade Ukraine. Right. Yeah. And, and well, I see this, uh, something very similar kind of going on with Biden, although I don't think he's quite, um, I, I don't think the hysteria is quite as bad as it was with Trump. But um, I think, I think Biden is posturing up. If, if anything, like from the Hunter Biden stuff makes sense, it's that, he was getting kickbacks from Ukrainian oil companies because they were aligned with the Rush pro-Russian government, and the pro-Russian government uh, was kicked out. And now these companies want to be on the goody-goody side of the new regime in Kiev, and so they give they give by they give uh, Hunter Biden a job at their oil company. And I think that the reason you're you're seeing Biden posture up is because he. He has this he already has a bad reputation from the end of Afghanistan. I don't think we should I I think that's a stupid argument about the Afghanistan stuff. I think it was going to be a disaster either way no matter if it was Donald Trump or Joe Biden. I definitely think that Biden extending it was a bad idea. But he's already looking bad on foreign policy. He has to posture up and he has to protect his own interests because if he doesn't protect these companies, guess what comes home to roost? People being like, "Oh hey, didn't we give your son some like assets so we could be protected. Whatever happened to that, Joe? And you know what? That looks bad on a sitting president. So right. domestic policy reflects on foreign policy. I really wish there was like a book by, by Justin Romano because just reading that one article 
was just absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of the uh, posturing surrounding midterms was to kind of have a more cohesive image around the Democrats. Um, what I was kind of go going on earlier is that um, he's really ramping up tensions with China. And I, I see this narrative that, um, oh, he's weak on China. He's owned by China is kind of silly because, yeah, he's one point the same trade war as Trump. Right. Well, he, he never took the tariffs off. Yeah. Um, I believe he left a lot of the sanctions on. And then on top of that, he's um, repeatedly said, and people chalk it up to a gaffe, but I don't know how many times you can gaffe saying that we will defend Taiwan. And then when pressed on it, he still says yes. So it's this, it's this weird thing where Americans have this empire mentality where we have to be a global hegemon. So our leaders have to be tough to the other world leaders because – empire right that's that's really what people kind of have sunk in their brain and it's amazing to me to see the propaganda surrounding um all the war stuff that's going on right now yeah i mean china is not at all a threat china mm. is about to go through demographic collapse because they're about to have a huge retiree population and aging workforce that they can't sustain. The entire point of China is that their social welfare programs keep them happy. They keep people working and yada, 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 essentially social security, but on drugs. Mm -hmm. And so with their, with their, like, if you were to map like their, you know, like what a dreidel looks like. You know, like no, the uh, dreidel, sorry. dreidel, you know, like the, like the Jewish little spinning thing, right? For Hanukkah. Oh yeah. 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 That's essentially it's a tapered. You, it's a tapered cone. Yeah. If you were to look at China's demographics as essentially it go, it starts like this, like around, you know, around where kids are, goes up into the workforce, dips mm -hmm. in a little bit, dips out, and then it goes up and it's, it's, it's a, it's pretty top heavy. They're it's a very pretty, old society. They're an old they're the world's biggest aging population, mm -hmm. the world's oldest population. And they can't sustain that. Like the whole, they, they keep people happy with their, because they have just as much of a fiat system as we do. They essentially were like copy and paste what we do. Even if they don't, even if they eventually see that it fails, like they have but a massive, but they do much, much worse. Like, yeah. To, they have like the a, they Go have ahead. an enormous yeah they have an enormous debt bottle and they literally have done to their currency in like 20 i think like 50 years what we did in 100, actually i think it's less than i think it's like 30 or 40 years they did yeah. to their currency what we've done to our currency over the course of 100 years and to a much larger worse degree and as you said they have a very old population and they don't have a lot of young people so i, don't, I just this idea that we're going to see chinese off the coast of california like <laughs> dude get real come on <laughs> they couldn't take taiwan their yeah. navy is not strong enough. They don't have a deep water navy at all. Like their navy mm -hmm. is, it's glorified fishing boats, basically. That is yeah. kind of that are they can't go into deep waters. And I'm pretty sure that the side facing China of Taiwan is a rocky coast that they can't land ships on. So they have to go around Taiwan to the other side to land their boats, all while facing artillery fire. Now, if the Taiwan, if the Taiwanese really want the best possible like if the whole idea is that super that these chips are what china wants then what they should do is they should put their artillery right next to the companies making these chips so that way if china bombs the bombs the artillery to take taiwan then they destroy the thing the kind of the they, they destroy the thing that they were going for right mm -hmm. so i mean even even the idea of the chips i mean most of those most of these chips aren't like hardware chips, like th like the quality kind of chips that we use like every day for manufacturing. They're the kind that go into your iPhone, that go into your smart fridge, that lets you tweet off of it. Like that's that's what's happening. That's the, those are the kind of chips you're losing. All of the heavy manufacturing chips are produced in the United States, and so okay. you might go a few years while the United States learns how to make these chips on our own. You might, I mean. You might go a few years without getting a new iPhone, but I mean, we're we're better off. You you can put away the fridge. You don't need the fridge that can speak to you and that can speak Mandarin Chinese and explain to you what the Huawei phone is doing right now. You don't need that fridge. You need a fridge that keeps your keeps your food cold. And you know what? We'll be fine without a fancy super super fancy fridge or whatever or a new iPhone. You can get by without that. 
And that's yeah. really that's really what's at risk with Taiwan as far as manufacturing goes. Well, the other thing that people leave out of this whole conversation is also that China is a very largely globally dependent um, nation. So let's oh, say yeah. let's let's grant them the premise that Taiwan um, that they take Taiwan successfully, which is a very, very, very big concession that we'll give them. Um, do, do you think that all the neighbors surrounding them that do not like them? are just going to, you know, be like, oh, well, looks like we all got to start, you know, we, it's, it's just makes no sense, right? They, they require so much imports throughout the world that it just wouldn't make sense for them to be hostile to other parts of the world. Um, so just the whole conversation is never really based in reality. Oh, you froze there again. Unfortunately. Let's see. Welcome back. Yeah, yeah, it, it just went. Hey, down you said it's not based in reality, and then you cut off. Yeah, well, no, just this whole China conversation is not based in reality. Um, when you speak about the chips, I actually should kind of dig into this a little bit more because it actually did affect my job at one point. Not like bad. Yeah, but like I there's mean, a, a recall for GM vehicles where we were replacing modules underneath seats for uh, the chip shortage. And like I said, I don't know if this came from China. I honestly have no idea. I mean. China, China's economy is going to collapse. Like, but there's zero COVID policy because they don't want to admit that they that they don't want to let it run rampant in their population because they're cracking down. That's it's not morally right. I think the CCP is a demagogue and um, a net threat to humanity. But I think that it's going to collapse on its own. And you're already seeing, like, I think a lot of these protests there might have been like some random provocateur who got people started. But once you got people started, those feelings that they're reflecting are pretty real that, that like all these protests that are going on. I think that, I don't know. I think China is not long for the world as far underneath the CCP. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's no reason for China to be like, to be a threat. Uh, there's no reason for them to go against really what our interests are because, you know, we protect all of their shipping, like all of their exporting and shipping. We control that and make sure that they aren't getting, you know, ransacked by pirates every other day so and china again like i said they don't have a lot of deep water ships they can't afford to police all their waters and they rely on us for that mm -hmm. and so it's within their interest to remain friendly with us and so they might have a trade war but they're not going to invade taiwan if we draw a line in the sand and be like hey you invade taiwan we're going to do something because yeah. they they they, they rely on us for their shipping. Not to mention, yeah. they're a net food importer. They mm -hmm. can't feed their entire almost billion people population without importing most of their stuff. Importing fertilizer, that's a threat in Ukraine and Russia. I think, that yeah. whole, I think the whole fertilizer reliance is a mistake in the first place, but they can't afford it. Most of China is a desert. Like, a significant portion of China is completely desert, and they can't afford to lose their global connections like Russia did. Mm -hmm. They they import their energy. You're already seeing rolling blackouts in China. Mm -hmm. They just can't afford it unless they want to lose everything. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny is um, I've been talking to obviously uh, some of our mutual friends, Dave DeCamp, uh, Pat McFarlane, Reed, and uh, they sent over a article from the uh south china morning post who uh is a little bit more neutral on china and the anti-covid lockdown protests flare across china after the deadly room key fire so um supposedly that um has a little bit of something to do with it as well so i, I guess kind of pivoting from the china stuff um you have also leaned into kind of the economics stuff so um for me personally um, I, ever since I was younger, I was always kind of intrigued by economics because to me, it wasn't just money necessarily moving around. It really is kind of the behaviors of people. And it, it's kind of like, you know how people will try to tell you, like, you should look at what people do to infer their true intentions. To me, that's kind of like what economics is on a big scale where people can say a lot of stuff. But if you understand the economics of it and even when it comes to like relationships and stuff, um, it's just really interesting. So like, even when you start kind of pulling away the thread on like 0% interest rates and how that can affect people's behavior, um, it's just absolutely fascinating to me. So, um, I just want to turn it over to you. What kind of got your interest peaked in economics? So as a libertarian, you know, as a new founding libertarian, I'm listening to like Dave Smith and I'm listening to Robbie the fire Bernstein. 
and they're talking about this stuff and they're talking about why the Federal Reserve is bad. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be a stupid podcastitarian because I, 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 I think that is, that is a, like a tremendous disservice to the libertarian philosophy, you know, to rely on podcasts for every single bit of information. I mean, I get it. Dave Smith's good. I really like Dave Smith. He's great at conveying that stuff. But don't let Dave Smith be where you're getting all of your information from. Right. Read some books. Read some libertarian philosophy. Read some economics books. It doesn't have to be – you don't have to pick up and read Man, Economy, and State. You, nice bookmark. Just, yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, I it, It's very useful. It, it, it gets around the entire book. It holds the bookmark in place. I like God, it. that is a big fucking book. Oh, no, th because this is the scholar's edition with power and markets. Uh, which is, okay. So so Rothbard wrote Man, Economy, and State, right? And he included these last final chapters about how the government distorts the economy. Mm -hmm. And the initial publishers of Man, Economy, and State, they weren't the Mises Institute. The Mises Institute wasn't around in 1967. And they were like, we're not going to include this in the book. We don't think it's great for the book. Let's just publish Man, Economy, and State. And they cut out that part. And that part became Power and Market. Another completely different book for uh, for Rothbard much later. And so the Scholar's Edition puts those last few chapters into Man, Economy, and State and essentially incorporates them like they should have been when Rothbard initially published it. Mm -hmm. But anyways, like I think that it's an immense disservice to just rely on listening to podcasts. And I'm sure there are plenty of good podcasts on economics and stuff, but like to, to talk about libertarian philosophy and libertarian economics – Without having read it yourself, I wanted to understand what these people were talking about, and so I I followed in the steps of my friend Brett Lindenfelser here in Minnesota. Props to Brett; he's pretty awesome. Um, and I bought a bunch of books. I bought two of Peter Schiff's book, "How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes," which it's is just book. really it's a nice little it's kind of almost children esque book, but it's very nice. Right, and, it's a, and it introduces to a really really good concepts. As far as like analyzing trade deficits and everything, as well as like uh, bu bubbles and you, you, know, you can hand that book, to, you, you could hand that book to a kid and they would understand economics to a pretty great degree after that. So that's why I really like that book. Yeah, and then I also bought Crash Proof. I bought the Bitcoin Standard and the Fiat Standard, both of which I think are tremendous books. The Bitcoin Standard I think is a is a pretty good go to for starting economic le teaching. Um, and then I also bought Choice by Bob Murphy. And then later in the same summer when I was reading all these things, I would buy Rothbard's History of Economic Thought. I would buy Economic uh, – not Economic Controversies, Making Economic Sense. It's a very similar book, you know, collection of Rothbard's essays. I bought Man, Economy, and State, and then I bought Human Action. And mm. so I, I bought all these books, and I just cracked them open and started reading. And from there, I was like, this is fascinating stuff because I had bought, like – what had government done to our money? You know, it's a very short little pamphlet, but I think it's absolutely essential. And so from there, I just became enthralled by by it, like especially monetary policy. Monetary policy is like my favorite thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But from there, I delved into economics. And from there, I've kind of shifted a little bit away from like the foreign policy stuff to the economics because I'm like, Leviathan cannot sustain itself without the blood. And Hmm. What the the economic the government's monetary policy is the blood fueling the Leviathan state, right. mm -hmm. and so economic. I think ec I think solving the economics and solving the money is a hundred percent the way to crush Levith the Leviathan state underfoot, mm -hmm. and from there that's what that's why economics is like my big thing now. Yeah, beautiful. No, I, I completely agree. Um, I, somebody had put out a poll asking about um, here are my choices, like pick three of these to eliminate. Um, which would you pick? And there were like so many things on that list that I was looking at. I'm like, oh, well, this falls apart if you deal with the money. This falls apart if you deal with the money. And mm -hmm. like foreign policy is one of my biggest things. But as you said, if you take away the, the monetary the wars aspect, aren't possible. Done. Yeah, the wars aren't possible without the money. Ron Paul exactly. said it best. It's no coincidence that the century of total war was coincided with the with the century of central banking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you cannot maintain the empire without the Federal Reserve. Like, listen, I think we should be on the Fed side right now for ju just just for strictly because I'm listening. I'm t listening to too much Tom Luongo. And I don't think that the big banks that control the Fed are going to give up their their business. You know, them in private 
um, Jerome private equity Powell. I don't think they're going to give up their power and control over to a bunch of communists in Davos. I don't mm -hmm. think that's I don't think that's realistically going to happen. I don't think the banks are willing to, you know, destroy everything that they stand for to let Davos create a bunch of central bank digital currencies. So I think while I think that we should be we are ants watch looking up at giants fight and I think and I'm hoping the Fed wins because you know I still prefer the current system to world totalitarian technocratic communism any day yeah but like if you solve the money everything goes away pretty much everything you 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 take away you you fix the money drag queen drag queen story hour isn't gonna exist there's it's no coincidence that weimar germany's um terrible monetary policy and hyperinflation coincided with basically a sexual revolution over there where you were seeing like the beginnings of like transgenderism stuff going on in there. You're seeing Berlin becoming like the most degenerate city in the world since Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't think that's a coincidence that you have the world's worst monetary policy in history. And you're seeing all of this happen. Easy money distorts time preference mm -hmm. and inflationism and just makes makes you more of a high time preference individual because if your money if you're losing money if your money's losing value and you can't afford things you are going to satisfy your utmost needs and instant gratification first you're going to spend your money wherever you can mm -hmm. and from there it just it, it, hoppa describes it best in democracy the god that fails but drag queen story hour doesn't exist without poor monetary policy mm -hmm. and I, I think if you just solve all this, all these problems, then you are going to. If you if you solve the money, you're going to solve so many problems. So yeah. many problems. The the only thing that um kind of I, I kick around when it comes to that is okay. So if we do fix the Federal Reserve, then how do we stop that from happening again? And that's uh, I mean, obviously, this is like a fifty year you know fifty year march, great march return, whatever you want to say, but um. You know, what stops us from delving back into the same problems that we're back in? I, I don't know. I mean, the reason that gold gold was wonderful as a money, mm -hmm. but it ultimately opened the door to fiat because you know what? Gold is not easy to transport around. Mm -hmm. And so central banks had to arise to issue money from that gold as a trustworthy institution. And because gold is not immutable across space that it because well not immutable because it doesn't transport well across space gold was consolidated by the central banks giving the banks all the the central banks all of the power to implement fiat mm -hmm. you know and fiat is excellent in being transportable across space but it's not good on other things right <clears throat> pardon just talking so much and my throat gets raw and i got a cough no, uh, but gold has quite a bit of problems. So what you need is you need a backing to your money. You need a monetary, you need something that is both, you can, you can transport it across space. It is a hard good. It's indistinguishable. It, you you can't inflate it very well or it or at all. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin. I mean, I'm not I'm not here to sell you an asset, but mm -hmm. Bitcoin fits a lot of those properties. And you know what? I'm here. I am I am a free market person. I would like to abolish the Federal Reserve and then let the market decide what mm -hmm. is the best money. But. I think Bitcoin fits a lot of those characteristics really well. And if, if they, if we want to, if, if society is, is ready for a hard money and they want to solve the problems of gold, Bitcoin is your best, is your best option. I think Peter Schiff gets it wrong where he's like, well, Bitcoin is just like a digital asset. It's not worth anything. Well, that's not the point of money. Money is meant to be a medium of exchange. 
that that the only reason we accepted gold was because we had to create this mental system that gold was worth something as a medium of exchange, that we value this gold, even if we're not a jeweler, if we're not a smith who has a practical use for gold, that we find value in it because we can trade it to others. Like, he, he gets that so wrong. It's like he doesn't under... He needs to reread some of Mises' work on the theory of money and credit, and then Carl Minger's on origin of money. That's not that's not what money is. It's not because it's a feasible. It's like an actual asset that we can use. Heck, an egg, an egg could be could be money. Literally anything could be money. And just because you can't take this Bitcoin and use it for something else doesn't mean it can't be a medium of exchange in that form. So Peter Schiff gets that very much wrong. Mm-hmm. That the money doesn't need to have some inherent value to it. It simply needs to be accepted by enough people as a medium of exchange that I value this Bitcoin, not because it's a an asset of its own value that I can use it for something, but because I can take this and I can trade it to someone else to receive a good. And that person will be is able to trade it to someone else because they find value in it. This is this is this is Mises's theory of regression, I believe, where through exchanging these goods, people finding value in the same good because they can trade it to someone else. Eventually, money forms. That's how money yeah. becomes becomes a na- it's a naturally occurring thing. It's money is not money because some king stamped his face on a gold coin. That's not how money happens. So Peter Schiff gets that very much wrong, and I think Bitcoin very much could fill the role. I'm not saying that we should force Bitcoin on people. I'm saying let the market decide. But that Bitcoin has some clear advantages that the marketplace could could use to choose it as uh, as the next like big currency outside of the u.s dollar yeah I, you know i've never really been convinced of bitcoin um and not that i think it can't reasonably work. so reasonably but so i it, mean it's, it's, I, it's, I just, a, it's a new concept a completely new concept it, it's not even that digital cash yeah. right it, it's I, I do like the idea of gold being a tangible store of value too, which you can't make that same argument for Bitcoin. Now, yeah, I, I'm not. What's I'm, getting, well, yeah. I mean, you you can to a point. Like if you were to compare the if you were to care, compare Bitcoin to the U.S. dollar, it is doing so much better. Oh right yeah, now. absolutely. Bitcoin's yeah. price right now is fluctuating because you know. Wall Street got involved. They overfinanced to buy Bitcoin, much right. like the stock. A lot market. of investors got loaded so, up. Yep. Yeah, and as the Fed hikes rates, the people who overfinanced, who bought dividends on their stock or whatever to buy Bitcoin or put dividends on their Bitcoin or bought equity, those people are going to fall out of Bitcoin, and the price mm. is going to drop. And that, and I think the FTX thing, like that collapsing, is a good thing. Because you're seeing more of that overfinance of people buying Bitcoin, it's it's getting out, it's winding out of the system, and Bitcoin will be allowed to climb naturally just because it's desired as an asset. People will learn that if it's not your keys, it's not your coins, and thus they'll hold on to it themselves, and the price will go up as people value Bitcoin more, rather than because it's overinflated with a bubble, and. Mm-hmm. I, I, Bit, I, I'm not saying buy like invest exclusively in Bitcoin. If I were to make it, if I were to give advice, and I'm not giving advice, I would say diversify your assets. Buy maybe buy some Bitcoin, but also buy some gold, buy some silver, buy ammunition, buy rice. To be to be completely honest, I mean, I think that like those things are incredibly valuable. Diversify your assets. Don't buy exclusively Bitcoin, but I think Bitcoin has some clear benefits. That mean that show that hey, if you buy some Bitcoin now, you're more likely to to have a good asset in the future or possibly the next like reserve currency of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, I, I there is probably some digging I should do on Bitcoin. I've been saying I, I'll, I'll do that for years. I had Natalie Brunel on when I first started the show, and um, she made a convincing case, but I, I don't know that I'll ever necessarily be a bitcoin maximalist but i definitely agree with you you should diversify i think everybody that's telling you to go like, all in on gold or all in on bitcoin is just silly i'm i'm not a bitcoin maxi and that i don't think bitcoin is going to solve everything because right. i don't think bitcoin has a gun that's going to stop you from transacting <laughs> i think yeah. i see bitcoin not as a means to an end but the end to get to 
mm-hmm. that if we want to use Bitcoin, you need to take on the state and its effect on monetary policy. Right. So I do think it's a good thing. I don't, to I don't think Bitcoin's going to solve everything, though. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't take it like I'm saying that Bitcoin fixes this for everything. I think Bitcoin could be useful. And I think a lot of the people are like, just by Bitcoin, that's the only political action you take. I think you just sound like agorists. And that, that's, that's just not feasible. Like, I don't think yeah. you can stand up because you know what? If you're super, if, 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 if you're super invested in Bitcoin, you know, the state can still show up and arrest you. And if you, if you're the only one with the keys to your coins, then you take Bitcoin off the market if you're arrested. So unless you're going to start some massive like crime syndicate, um, and and some mafia thing. Yeah. Well, not, not that kind of crime syndicate, but like, you know, (laughs) bootleg. unless you're doing like a massive system, like the bootleggers during prohibition, I don't feasibly see you, um, using Bitcoin as your only solution to solving your political issues. I just think it's a good end for this monetary policy as in, Hey, this is our solution. This is what we should get to, but I don't, I don't feasibly see it too much Nice, like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree, but I do like the idea and I think people should kind of put that forth <laughs> as something for people to kind of strive for, or like, Hey, this is alternative. So let's see what we can do here. Um, oh, that's really, really interesting. Um, David, we've been going for about an hour now, dude. It's always good to talk to you. Um, what gives you hope about the future? What gives me hope about the future? I mean, man, if you were to look at like ignoring Pat Buchanan's insight into like World War II, you saw the Nazi regime fall, you saw um, Soviet communism fall in the world. You saw some of the greatest evil be conquered. You saw a com- basically a comedian, a guy who's been on SNL, who who wrote The Art of the Deal, put the Clintons in the bushes out of political business. If that isn't like something that shows you that good can win in the world, I don't think Trump is like maximum good, but that is a net good to the world. Yeah. I think looking at the fall of like the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany and all of these regimes, I think you are looking at I, I don't know how you could look at the world and not have hope that yeah. the good guys are going to win because you know we're the good guys. Quit being so blackpilled about everything, thinking we're going to lose because you know what? If we really have these brilliant ideas, that means we got to implement those ideas, that we got to prove that they're the good ideas. We need to win with those ideas. Absolutely. So quit being so black-pilled, be white-pilled, be optimistic for the future, and fight for it. Because, you know, the only reason we're going to – the only way we're going to lose is if you are a black-pilled loser who decides, oh, it's not worth it. We should all just go roll over and die. No, that's that's when we lose. That's when we lose when we stop fighting. I'm not saying it's not going to be – it's not going to hurt. I'm not saying it's going to be pretty. But, you know, we're going to win, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, dude, I completely agree. So um, I'll do my shilling real quick and then we'll let you do your plugs. Everyone, if you're All listening right. live, make sure you go to MTS. And I don't know why I'm saying mtsnutrition.com tigerfitness.com to get all your nutrition and fitness needs and make sure you check out the links below for all your hydration electrolytes. And as I said earlier, your protein and whatever else black Friday sales going on right now. So you can get a ton of free stuff. You spend a little bit of money, David, Thank you for coming on. Where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at econdavid underscore. That's that's where I'm tweeting. That's where my interests are. That's where I spend most of my time on the internet. Uh, otherwise, you can go and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's not a lot yet, but econphonics, E-C-O-N-P-H-O-N-I-C-S. You can go there. And you can go and subscribe to the channel because we've got some great stuff coming up. We've got a D&D show on the way. As dorky and nerdy as that sounds, it's it's what I have fun with. And you got to create some culture somewhere. And we have a podcast coming soon with me and Lorenzo. And I'm sure you've had Lorenzo on the show. Lorenzo's great. Um, so you can go support it there. Um, if you guys want to throw money my way, patreon.com slash econphonics. If you want to support the work, get access to like a Discord or something. I don't know. We got sponsor stuff too if you want to do that. I don't care. But like, thank you, Kyle. I appreciate it. I suggest everyone take their money and time to Mises.org and support the Mises Institute because it is the single most important thing in the world. 
And they're also having a Black Friday sale, 20% off this weekend. I got some good books. You could get some books too. Nice. All right. Well, David, like I said, it's always a pleasure. And uh, if you don't got anything else, we'll close her out and I'll see you on the other side. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.